Today on Hitting Hard with John Chuckery, Hawks get a huge win last night in the first round of the play-in tournament. Now get ready for Friday. And Clayton Kershaw, if you want a little microcosm into the why the Dodgers maybe aren't as successful as what they should be, I'm going to tell you about what happened yesterday with Clayton Kershaw in his game. It's Hitting Hard with John Chuckery, Locked on Sports Atlanta. This is Hitting Hard with John Chuckery. Part of Locked On Sports Atlanta. And it starts now. Welcome into episode 10 of Hitting Hard with John Chuckery. We thank you so much for being a part of the show. We want you to subscribe to our YouTube channel. Just Google, you know, in YouTube. Uh, as well, Locked On Sports Atlanta, and you will find this there. You can check us out on all of your favorite podcast podcasts, excuse me, platforms. And of course, we want you to give us a review, like, see what you think about the, the show, give us your thoughts about it. Check us out on Twitter as well at Locked On Sports ATL, and of course, I am at JMCH three one six. Well, today on the show, we're going to talk about last night in the victory for the Atlanta Hawks as they blew out the Charlotte Hornets. Don't the Hornets feel like that they are the ultimate just lose in the first round of a playing game team, right? And that's sort of like what their fran their franchise just sort of resembles that of yeah, we got to a play in and we lost, and that's all the better that we are. So uh, I don't know if that was the most complete game that the Atlanta Hawks have played all season, but I know it's really close. And I think the thing that impressed me the most, and this is also, I guess maybe some sort of frustration level with the Hawks this year is last night they turned up the defensive intensity in that game and they really took it to the Hornets. Hornets are a pretty good scoring team. They're a pretty good perimeter team. They get a lot of things going offensively, but the Hawks really shut them down and you know they gave up 103 points, but that game was, was really a blowout and it just kind of, you know, it was what it was, especially in that third quarter where the Hawks came out with a 42 spot and took it right to them. But that defensive intensity, and I think that's the thing that we've been waiting for, and that's the thing that if the Hawks are going to move along through the NBA playoffs, is that they have to have that same kind of defensive intensity night in, night out. Now, this has been one of the bugaboos about the Hawks is just the fact that whether it's the coach or the players or whatever coming out after game, well, you know, we didn't have the effort tonight. We didn't have the want to. We didn't have the will. We didn't have this. We didn't have that. Mentally, we weren't there, this, that, and the other. Okay. You know, and we heard that so many nights from this Hawks team when their defense was really, really bad. Last night, though, I thought they did a great job overall. Clint Capella was fantastic. I mean, what can you say about Capella that – they got some early matchups with him where he had some real mismatches offensively and Trey did such a good job of feeding it to him and getting him involved early. And then he was a monster on the rebounding end, 17 rebounds. You see what a difference he makes, you know, when he's got it cooking, when he's got things going, when he's into the game and the flow of the game, you see how he can be that low post defender, how he can be that guy that cleans up the glass. Now we've been talking about the idea of John Collins, not being available, of course, didn't play last night. Most likely, almost guaranteed that he won't be part of the game tomorrow night up in Cleveland. And then probably doubtful about whether or not that he is going to play against the Miami Heat. My personal opinion is I think we've seen the last of John Collins for this year. I don't think we're going to see John Collins again in the playoff series. I don't think he's going to play against Miami. And I do think that the Hawks can go up and they're going to beat Cleveland, who, by the way, is was three and seven in their last 
uh, 10 regular season games. Of course, they lost to the night to, to Brooklyn. Allen may or may not be back out there. But the Hawks, certainly, if they play, if they match the intensity that they had last night, they'll go up there and beat the Cleveland, who is definitely struggling right now. Heck, Charlotte was uh, more hot coming into the playoffs here than uh, than what the Cavaliers are uh, with all of it. But it was a great win last night. And when you factor in how well their defense played and the fact that Trey Young didn't shoot the ball well in the first half of that game last night, he hit. Hit a shot early on in the game, and you thought he'd get them some things cooking, and then he missed his next nine shots in a row in the first half and started out one for nine. Then the third quarter, he really got it cooking and really got it cranked up offensively out there. And, you know, I just thought when you looked at all of the starters and bogey, six guys that were in double figures last night, when you look, it wasn't the matter of volume of scoring that they got from different guys, although Hunter was great last night and it's kind of funny because DeAndre Hunter was a guy that in the very beginning of that game and he finished with 22 points and seven boards in that game in the beginning last night he hit a couple or sorry he missed a couple of open jumpers little mid-range jumpers and I tweeted out the idea of man you got to hit those things man when when you're open in the NBA you know when you're in in this postseason time of the year you have to hit those open jumpers and he didn't then he comes back and he hits that three, and it's like, okay, then he got some things going out there, and he was terrific offensively. So they got a lot of different things. Bogey hit a couple of big shots. Herter, while it wasn't volume scoring, he when, when he makes threes, it seems like he makes big threes for this team. It feels like that he makes some big shots for this team. And we talked about the idea of the, the John Collins factor that this team has figured out how to play without John Collins. They know their rotations. They know their role. They know what they have to do. I'm not telling you again that it's not a benefit to have John Collins, but they have figured some things out without him. You know, they 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 have gotten into a rhythm and a rotation of what to do on the court when he is not there. And I think they very much can beat both the Cleveland Cavaliers and I think they beat the Miami Heat without John Collins. Where you get into, you know, the next rounds, you know, whether it's, you know, Brooklyn or especially if it's like Milwaukee, you know, then you've got to then you've got to reevaluate. And that's where you'd like to have John Collins back on the court with you. But we've talked about that. They have figured some things out. They've been able offensively to get the ball moving. And I thought you saw that on display last night. And if you can get that perimeter game going for the Atlanta Hawks while you're feeding Capella and you're getting him in the rhythm, in the flow of the game. Because it does feel like when he gets flowing a little bit offensively, and especially early in the game, it just brings up his intensity on defense, rebounding the basketball. I mean, just all facets of his game that are really, you know, that, that, that really kind of complement everything else that the Hawks uh, want to do. So uh, it was a terrific win last night. I think the other thing you saw too was that while it was a little bit of a later arriving crowd, when the Hawks fans get things going, they get that building cranked up and ready to go. They, they get that thing at a different intensity level when it comes to be playoff time. And everybody just felt like, you know, the stars were out last night. Uh, what Jay-Z was in Brooklyn uh, the night before, and he was down here in Atlanta and Quavo and, why, why Nelly was wearing Charlotte Hornets gear, I have no idea. When did they become? When did they become cool? Like they hadn't been cool since Grandma Ma and Larry Johnson, right? But you know, just the stars were out. Chris Tucker, who's at Hawks games, the stars were out. You could feel the environment. You could you could feel that this was a big game, and the Hawks treated it like it. And 
they played themselves about as complete a game as, as they have all year. I still think the win against the Phoenix Suns at home on MLK Day is the best win of the year and the most complete game that they played, especially given the level of the competition. But if you think about the Hawks were five of nine in the first uh, first half, shooting the ball from uh, from three and uh, first quarter. Excuse me, they were five and nine in the first quarter, shooting the ball from three. If you factor in that in that first half, they sort of sputtered toward the end of the first half, and Trey was one for nine from the field, and yet they went into halftime with an eight point lead. And I think that that was big. That it may not be a matter of Trey has to score 40 points for them to win but if if they don't keep up the same defensive intensity and they don't keep the same ball movement then yeah he does have to score 40 i mean but if you can play that kind of defense night in night out and i think that's the biggest issue that the hawks have right if there's going to be a downfall for the atlanta hawks in this playoff run it's going to be what their defensive intensity really is. It's going to be whether or not that they can slow down some of the better scoring teams when they get matched up with them. Can they keep that same intensity? And then when other teams step up their defense and start to slow down the Hawks half court game, can the Hawks, you know, match them offensively? I mean, if you can play with that same defensive intensity, the Hawks can beat just about anybody, but it's been so few and far between when we've seen that kind of defense from the Atlanta Hawks. So, yeah, on a night like last night, Trey doesn't need to score 40. Um, he, you know, the, the, the game didn't dictate that he needed to score that kind of points. But where that's been an issue is just because they don't play enough defense. They don't give enough effort uh, on that side of the ball. And, you know, they obviously out-rebounded Charlotte last night. I mean, there were just so many good things uh, about this. So I thought it was a complete game for the Hawks, as good a win as they've had in quite a while, maybe the second-best win that they've had all season long, and now they'll get ready for the Cleveland Cavaliers up in Cleveland coming up on Friday with a chance to go in advance and play the uh, Miami Heat uh, from there. All right, when we talk, when we come back, we'll talk a little bit more about this because I want to talk about the the situation like last night that Bridges had where when he was ejected from the game and what he did and all this kind of crazy stuff uh, along with it. It's Hitting Hard with John Chuckery on Locked On Sports Atlanta. Back at it on Hitting Hard with John Chuckery on Locked On Sports Atlanta, reminding you, please subscribe to our YouTube channel. Just go on YouTube and put it in the browser, Locked On Sports Atlanta. You'll find us there. Hit the subscribe button. Follow me on Twitter at JMCH316. And we do ask you to check out the podcast also on all of your favorite audio platforms, including Odyssey. We continue to talk about the big win last night for the Atlanta Hawks as they blow out the Charlotte Hornets 132-103 last night. And there was a moment, though, that I, that was, I don't know, disgusting, um, didn't need to happen. That involved Miles Bridges. So after Bridges has a goaltending call on him and he gets a technical and gets ejected from the game. As he's walking off the court last night, he takes his mouthpiece out and there's a guy that's standing there that's doing the, you know, bye-bye, you know, that kind of thing, bye-bye symbol. And that's literally all he was doing was just going like, like this, you know, you know, didn't throw anything at him or any kind of crazy thing like that. Bridges takes his mouthpiece off and he throws it where he intended to throw it at the guy but he hit this little girl that was like, I don't know, one or two people over from the guy that he was throwing it at. And it was just a disgusting display. They showed the mouthpiece laying on the ground. Uh, so he took a video of it or whatever like that. Look, 
I know that he came after the game and he went on Twitter and he apologized and he said, you know, find me that girl. I want to make it up to her and all. Okay, that's fine. But if and, and Bridges is about to get paid a crap ton of money, like Charlotte's about to give him a whole bunch of money to to stay there. But if that's how you act in a loss and you're a professional, that that was just disgusting. Like, there was no reason for that. I don't want to hear about your emotions got the better of it. You're a paid professional athlete, okay? And you're in a, I don't want to say hostile, but you're in a rough and rugged road environment that, yeah, it's it, – it, it's amped up from a regular season from a Tuesday night in January. It's a more amped up environment, but that's what you're professional. You want to go in your lot. You want to walk off the court, go in your locker room and whatever, tear down posters, kick benches over, break bottles, whatever it is that you want to do. Hey man, go for it. Do your thing. But to pull your mouthpiece out and throw that at somebody, and then you hit a little girl with it. And again, nothing happened to the little girl. It's a mouthpiece, for God's sakes. If I was a little girl, by the way, I'd have been like, you know, that episode of Seinfeld when they hocked the loogie at, uh, what was it, Kramer, when he got hit with that loogie. I'd have done that. Like Travis Darno did that. I'd have done like the whole body motion thing and I'm falling over, you know, and make it look like a whole big deal and all that kind of stuff. You know, after I got hit with the mouthpiece or whatever like that, because, you know, he probably would have picked up a little bit of cash or whatever for it. But that was disgusting. There was no reason for that to have taken place. And, you know, that was that was not a good symbol for the Charlotte Hornets. And, you know, I know they tried to use last night. Their motivation was, oh, the, the bus got held up by the train, you know, going around where stats is and going underneath all that. And we got delayed and all that. Just miss me with all that kind of stuff. The, the, the Hornets had no business being there. The Hawks really took it to them. And, and the Hawks certainly last night played about as complete a game as you could ask them to play out there. And now you move on to Cleveland where – Look, the Cavaliers are not playing well right now. And this is sort of the way we set itself up to be a good thing for the Hawks of start these playing games at home and get a big home win. And then you're playing a team that just lost. And we'll break more of this down probably tomorrow. But if Trey Young can kind of match the way or every time Cleveland tried to get back into that game the other night against Brooklyn, you saw Irving hit a big shot and Irving started out 12 for 12 from the field. You can do that with Trey Young. You get a lead early and, and you have to have them fight, you know, come back in that thing. This is where you're going to need Trey tomorrow night. This is where you're going to need a big game out of Trey. Just not even so much from the volume of scoring, but from being able to consistently hit your shots, you know, at the end of the day, Trey Young still, after his one-for-nine start last night in the game, he finished eight for 24 uh, from the field and was only one for seven from three-point line. So he didn't shoot the ball well at all, but he did hand out 11 assists. And like I said, he got Capella going early uh, in that game. He had a couple of, you know, had the alley-oop to Capella. He had some things going where he got some of the other guys involved in it. But I do think Friday night they are going to need Trey Young to shoot the ball much better to advance because – Again, we'll have to believe it. You know, we'll, we'll believe it when we see it that the Hawks can go out on the road and match that defensive intensity. But their their mantra that they keep coming up with is this is what we've been waiting for. Right. And they said it before the game. They said it after the game that now it's you know, they look at it as now it's playoff time. Now it's time to get the intensity cranked up. And we saw that on display. 
can they do that in back-to-back nights, you know, or back-to-back games, I should say? I think so. I mean, I, 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 there's no reason for me to doubt the postseason acumen or the mindset that the Hawks have, you know, between last year and this year. I don't know if the Hawks are going to end up on the same kind of Eastern Conference Finals run that they had last year, but certainly from a mindset standpoint, it was different and it felt different last night. And, you know, right now they've got their chemistry going and they've got their things going the way that they, they need to. It just feels like that they're ready to get themselves on a roll. And remember, it's going to be a little bit before the Hawks get back, you know, into Atlanta. If they beat Cleveland and they start, you know, with the with the Miami Heat, it's going to be a week from tomorrow before they're going to have their first home game. So you got to beat Cleveland, then you immediately get on the road and you head down Easter Sunday to play the Miami Heat. And then I think the next game is on Tuesday uh, after that. So, you know, you're going to have to spend some time on the road and you're going to have to keep that intensity up over these next few days. It's just, and people were asking me last night on, on my show when we were on after the game about, you know, why the Hawks, you know, put themselves, in, I don't know. But, but what I do know is this, we're past all of that. There's nothing we can do to change what the Hawks did or did not do this regular season. There's nothing we can do now to fix all of that. This is their lot in life, and this is the spot that they found themselves in. So if they can turn up the volume and they can flip that switch when it's playoff time, cool, cool. And what will also be interesting is, and I brought this up last night, let's say the Hawks make a run to the Eastern Conference Finals. And John Collins doesn't play. Say he doesn't play at all. What do you think the mindset of the fan base is going to be? Let me tell you what you're going to hear. And I'm 100% going to guarantee you this already. They make a run to the Eastern Conference Finals again, and they do it without John Collins. You're going to start to hear fans talking about, we need to trade him. We need to move on from him. See, we can win and get to the you know Eastern Conference Finals without him. Just think if we had another star to go along with Trey, and he's holding things back. So this will be a fascinating sub-story, side story to this playoff run that the Hawks are trying to get themselves in. Because if they can advance through the playoffs and they do it without John Collins, boy, that it's going to really – you think people were mad at Freddie Freeman for what happened and the way it got handled with not being with the Atlanta Braves? People are going to be all over John Collins in this offseason about trade him, move on from him, He's not worth the money that we paid him. Use that money and help get a star player in here. I don't think the Hawks want to move on from John Collins, but you're going to have a big fan sentiment out there that if they run this thing back into the Eastern Conference Finals without him, oh boy, people are going to, if if there were people on the train for John Collins, they are going to jump off very, very quickly. You're going to see the the momentum swing, you know, that pendulum swing quite a bit of, okay, he's here, we need to run it back, and then it's going to be, wow, you know, we're, we're winning without him, we need to move on from him. So watch that sub-story. That's going to be fascinating to see what the Hawks do, but they'll get back in action coming up tomorrow night in Cleveland. All right, when we get back on Hitting Hard with John Chuckery, um, if you wanted a peek into the mindset of the Dodgers and why they don't always succeed in the postseason, I think yesterday was a perfect example of all that. It's Hitting Hard with John Chuckery on Locked On Sports Atlanta. Back with you on Hitting Hard with John Chuckery here on Locked On Sports Atlanta. Don't forget to subscribe to our YouTube channel. Just go to YouTube.com and check out Locked On Sports. You can find it there. Hit the subscribe button. Give us a review. Tell us what you think about the shows. And don't forget, you can find us on all of your favorite podcast platform streams, Odyssey, Spotify, all the good ones that you know of. And then, of course, follow me on Twitter at JMCH316. 
Clayton Kershaw is, without question, one of the best pitchers of our generation. In fact, there's not much doubt that he he's going to be a first ballot Hall of Famer, right? I don't think anybody has any questions about them. Listen to some of these numbers. Clayton Kershaw is 186 and 84 for his career. He's 102 games above 500 for his career. That's a 689 winning percentage with a 2.48 ERA. 2,683 strikeouts in 2,461 and two-third regular innings. Now, why do I bring all of this up? Because if you look at Clayton Kershaw in the postseason, okay, what do you think Kershaw's record is? For his career in the postseason, he's 13 and 12, a 520 winning percentage. So he's 100 games, 102 games over 500 in the regular season. He's one game over 500 in the playoffs with a 419 ERA, 419 ERA. So he's more than a run and a half higher in the playoffs than he is in the regular season. And people for years have asked about, well, why is that? What is that? Let's look at yesterday. Yesterday, Clayton Kershaw, back at it, first start against the Minnesota Twins, goes out there and he throws seven perfect innings of baseball. Now, what happened? Dave Roberts pulls him out, and they win the game easily. No issues or any sort of thing like that. But what's fascinating to me is the verbiage and the language of what we heard. Okay, so take for instance, this is what was this is what was said that Dave Roberts consulted with Kershaw after the sixth inning, and his three-time Cy Young Award winner told him that his preference was to go just one more inning and an 85-pitch limit. Now, Kershaw ended up going seven innings and 80 pitches. So he's only, he, he got with his manager to only pitch one more inning, and he was going to only pitch to 85 pitches, and he ended up pitching in 80. Quote, I would have loved to have stayed, but bigger things, man, bigger things. And he went on to talk about selfish goals. We're trying to win. We're really all, we're only here for winning and this, that, and the other. Okay, this is my problem with this whole thing. And you saw a couple of former Major League pay. Go look at Fergie Jenkins' tweet, okay? Hall of Fame pitcher about that. Doesn't that tell you a lot about why the Dodgers have been underachievers? That Dave Roberts and Kershaw come up with this plan about how to get him out of a game. You think Max Scherzer, if he was in that same boat, we've seen him in positions where it hadn't even been that intense of – the idea of having a no-hitter, a perfect game, tell his manager to go back in the dugout. I'm not telling you Clayton Kershaw is not a great pitcher, but if you want to know the difference between having, you know, sometimes a, a P for a Valentine or why some guys succeed in the highest pressure moments, that told me a lot yesterday. It's why Dave Roberts, I think, is not a good manager, and, and he's hanging on by a thread. And had they not have won the World Series a couple of years ago, I'm telling you, I've talked to people that said he would have been fired. But it, it says a lot mentally about, well, we're trying to win. And they were up seven to nothing. They won the game seven nothing. It's not like they were in a one-zero game and, and they had to hang on for dear life. And Kershaw said, I'll go up to 80 pitches or 85 pitches. You mean to tell me that Clayton Kershaw, and they talked about not getting stretched out in spring training. And you telling me Clayton Kershaw, who's thrown 2,500 innings in his career, couldn't go out for two more innings? It just says a lot about the mindset of these guys. And, and it's why, you know, when I've said for these last few years that 
there's no reason why the Braves can't get through and can't slay the Dodgers. Now, they did it last year. Should have done it two years ago, but they certainly did it last year. And this is one of those reasons why when you think about what when people say, well, why aren't the Dodgers better? Why have they won more championships? Why, why is Kershaw not better in the postseason? Why is Dave Roberts? Because it's moments like this in a 7 nothing game where it's the fifth game of the year, fifth game of the year in a 7 nothing game with only two innings to pitch that they have a powwow and a summit meeting to decide about, okay, we're just going to do one more inning and then I'm going to be done. In a perfect game, how many top flight pitchers and managers would have ever have done that in baseball past? Like I said, go read tweets from Fergie Jenkins and some of these guys. You, you think Max Scherzer would have let his manager have a conference with him and Scherzer would have been like, nah, man, I'm good. I don't, I don't want to go out there and close this thing out. I I hadn't, I I hadn't stretched out enough, man. I'm not stretched out from spring training and all this nonsense. It's ridiculous. In a seven, well, we're trying to win the game. You're up seven to nothing with two innings to play. You're up seven nothing with six outs, and they haven't gotten a hit off you. They haven't had a guy successfully stand on first base in a seven nothing game, and you need six more outs. Well, it's about winning. Think the Dodgers are going to lose that game? No. What, they end up giving up one hit in the game anyway? Their bullpen came in and gave up one hit. That was it. It's mentality. It's up here. It's the difference about why some guys are successful. And, look, again, Kershaw's a first ballot Hall of Famer because of what he's done in the regular season. But think about the man. Can you imagine in a moment of John Smoltz's career where this all came? You think Bobby – and John would have had a summit and said, well, you know, what do you want to do? You know, what can we do? And Smoltz would have been like, well, I'm just going to go out one more inning. I just, you know, I just, I'm going to go out one more inning and throw a few pitches. And that's probably it. I probably should shut it down. We got to win this game. They're up seven to nothing. It's a mindset. It's a mentality. It, it's, and I hate this term, but it's being that bulldog, right? That's the difference out there. That, that's the difference between a guy who's 102 games over 500 in the regular season and who was one game over 500 in the playoffs and a guy who is a run and a half higher in the postseason than he is in the regular season. That up there has nothing to do with his ability, has nothing to do with his left arm and how good he is in this, that, and the other. And how concerned is Kershaw? Get? What's the worst that was going to happen to Kershaw with six outs left? So you put him back in there, okay? Let's say he gets a couple of guys on base. Then you yank him. Like how hard – this would not have been a hard decision. In a 7 nothing game, they load the bases and bring a reliever in, and that guy gives up a grand slam. You're still up three runs. You're still up the, – there was nothing about this that was a high-pressure situation to get yourself in to where it's like – Man, we got to do what's best for the team, and and we're in game one sixty, trying to make the win the division, and Kershaw's pitched two hundred innings, and it's a one nothing game. It's game five in a long season of seven to nothing baseball, and he's and they're only in game five of the year. 
that whole thing was ridiculous. And the more I read, the more it told me, you know what? Now I know why the Dodgers don't win in the postseason. Now I know why they are not clutch. I know why their mentality is they turn up small when it becomes postseason time. And let me tell you, it's more reason why the Atlanta Braves should make a big, long run to be the best team in the National League. We'll see how it plays out. But, boy, that told me a lot yesterday. All right, we thank you again for being part of the show today. Go onto our YouTube channel, Locked On Sports Atlanta. Head into the browser of YouTube. Find us on Locked On Sports Atlanta. Hit the subscribe button. Leave us a review. Tell us what you think. And obviously, you can check us out on all of your favorite podcast platforms, including Odyssey. Follow me on Twitter at JMCH316. We will be back with you tomorrow as we get ready for the second playing game for the Atlanta Hawks and another do-or-die matchup. It is hitting hard with John Chuckery on Locked On Sports Atlanta.